Welcome back. I'm Carolyn Stain, and you're listening to Classic Lunch. Now, I've been speaking to some truly formidable women on the show over the past few weeks as part of my series of interviews with fearless women, proudly being brought to you by First for Women Insurance here on Classic 1027. And today's guest is exactly that. She's one of the wealthiest and most successful businesswomen in South Africa. She's the co-founder and chief executive officer of Signia Asset Management. And she's also set to star in an all new season of the hit reality show, The Apprentice South Africa. I'm talking about the dynamic Magda Wiedzicka, and she's on the line right now. Magda, thanks so much for joining me here on Classic Lunch this afternoon. Hi, Carolyn. I'm very pleased to be chatting to you. It's such an honor to have you on our show. And I must say, I know you are a very busy, busy woman. So let's quickly start at the beginning because you've had a very interesting journey, which I think has the makings of a movie. You grew up in Poland. Tell us a bit more about your childhood. Well, the childhood was very much, you know, if if anyone has watched that movie series called Chernobyl, that was my childhood. I grew up in an apartment block, kind of 60 square meter apartment uh, with our grandmother living with us. I've got a brother and a sister as well. You know, went to, it was very much, you know, communist system before the collapse of the Berlin Wall. But, you know, the, the one good thing about it, it was a couple of good things. Everyone had exactly the same or very little. And two, the education system was very uh, strong. So maths and science were, you know, the, the two subjects which were prioritized. And hence, um, having that foundation at a very early age in life, you know, stood me in good stead. So that was my life up until the age of 12 when you know we were ripped out of that and um, became refugees you escaped in the middle of the night and um, went to austria and you, you you stayed in a refugee camp for about a year indeed we stayed in a refugee camp um, it's exactly the same refugee camp i actually came across it recently where they are currently holding syrian refugees um so it's just outside of military barracks outside of vienna And from there, my parents, who were medical doctors, applied to the countries that accepted immigrants, which was the United States, Canada, Australia. They have annual quotas. Um, But at the same time, South Africa or South African government then recognized that, you know, in these refugee camps, they had access to engineers, medical doctors, architects. And hence, uh, they opened up the embassy in in Vienna and put up posters in the refugee camp saying they're looking to fill these positions. And so my parents kind of facing uncertain future anywhere else, but not knowing anything about South Africa, but at least knowing they would have a job, applied. And the next thing we knew is, you know, we were on a plane to Pretoria. And we landed up in, uh, to this day, What is it like making a new life as a young woman? I think you were 12 or 13 arriving in South Africa. I mean, you couldn't speak English. It couldn't have been easy. It wasn't. Look, it was very tough. And I think it was very tough for my parents who had to think of my parents being, you know, in the early 40s. And we literally had nothing. We had uh, the suitcases. My father had $500 in the bank. So... um, you know, they had to buy everything from scratch. I mean, we're talking every teaspoon. So so for them, life was very tough. And hence, you know, there wasn't heck of a lot of free time to, to pay attention to us. So I've got a younger brother, younger sister. 
So we kind of had to figure it out ourselves. We had to grow up relatively quickly and sort ourselves out. You know, I was fortunate enough to encounter someone who said to me, and I knew nothing, you must go to Pretoria Girls High. It's the best education you will get in the public you know, space. Um, so I went to Pretoria Girls High. Um, and, you know, that was um, also tough because, you know, teenage girls are a brutal force of nature. <laughs> I was <laughs> uh, bullied mercilessly, but oh, no. uh, managed to survive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you decided to go ahead and study actuarial science and begin a career in the financial services industry. Why did you decide on that? Uh, well, actually, I didn't decide to study science. I decided I knew I had to study, to, you know, in terms of tertiary education, but my parents didn't have any money to pay for university. Um, but someone said to me again, very kindly, that there is this thing called actuarial science. I had no clue what it was. But <laughs> life insurance companies, no, genuinely, were giving bursaries which covered everything, accommodation, books, you know, tuition, transport, even living allowance. So I applied for a bursary for actuarial science without knowing what, what it really was. And I was really good at maths and surprisingly good at English. And so I got a bursary for actuarial science. And that's how I, how I ended up studying actuarial science. Um, and I'm quite convinced that, you know, I didn't know what I was studying through my years at UCT. Um, and only figured it out when I started working off my bursary at a company called Southern Life, which no longer exists. And within a year, I knew, look, I was surrounded by people who were much cleverer than me. And hence, I opted to, to very quickly kind of I scanned the environment and said, what, what looks most interesting in this finance space? And there was this investment team um, that seemed to have really nice offices. So I managed to angle my way into investments. Um, and that's how my asset management career started. Magda, I have to ask, you know, you, you had all the odds stacked against you as a young girl at, at school. Did you have any idea in those days that one day you would become this mega tycoon? Well, I, you know, I don't know whether I'm a mega tycoon, but... I'm telling you that you are. <laughs> You know what? I grew up with my father constantly telling me that, look, we gave you an option. But by leaving everything behind, by leaving communism behind, we believe we've opened a window to the West, you know, to, to, to a more normalized society. Little did we know about what we were facing in South Africa. We knew nothing about the politics of South Africa. But he basically always said to me that, you know, there isn't going to be an inheritance that he can leave me. There is no money that they can give me. They've given me this opportunity and um, I must do with it as I please. But he's got one piece of advice to me as a woman, never rely on a man. So whatever you do in life, build your life around self-reliance and not a reliance on someone else to take care of you financially. And I think that has stood me in very good stead. So, so that really what, was what drove me, that there was no financial backing behind me. There never wasn't going to be. So whatever I was going to earn or achieve, it's on me. You know, there, there isn't a fallback plan. Um, and I think that is really what, what kind of drove me. And, and besides that, you know, the, the passion for what I do. So, um, you know, very quickly I discovered, and I was very fortunate, you know, by a couple of, of uh, stints at Alexander Forbes, 
I was approached by coronation fund managers when they were a startup. And it was just a bunch of guys who ran investments. And they approached me and said, um, Magda, we know how to manage money. We don't know and don't want to know anything about the rest of the business. So you do it. We, we just don't want to know. And, you know, I was 25 or 26 at the time. And that was the big opportunity where suddenly I was in charge of administration and marketing and legal division. And, you know, I was applying and launching products and speaking to clients and making decisions that now 25 or 26 year olds should be making. Um, and, you know, so and telling, so, telling grown men what to do with their money. Yeah. And telling grown men what to do with their money. But that, you know, which, which absolutely amazed me. And they listened. But they, they only listened because I was one of the few female actuaries in South Africa at the time. So the only way I've managed to actually use my actuarial qualification was to gain credibility very early on by virtue of that degree. You know, if I didn't have that degree behind me, I don't think they would have listened. But somehow they listened. <laughs> Magda, you've really risen to the very top of your game. But South African business, as we all know, is still notoriously male-dominated. What do you feel was the biggest stumbling block in getting to where you wanted to go as a woman? Mm. Men. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, the, the, the problem is that, you know, financial services industry generally attracts, look, it attracts money. There is, there are pools of money to fight over. There are bonuses. And, you know, you put money and men in the same room. And you get the ugliest of human nature coming to the fore. And that's what I saw working for Coronation. They took over running African Harvest. Um, And consequently, you know, I actually looked at that kind of environment. And it is an environment that is hostile to women, but not for the reasons that you think. It's an environment where everyone is fighting each other to maximize their personal income. And women don't fight each other. Women in a workforce place want collaboration they want teamwork they want a nice working environment not one where everyone is backstabbing each other so you know over my years in financial services industry I've employed some incredible women but they would resign and I would say to them well, why are you resigning and they would say to me Magda who needs this rubbish who needs to sit there in the middle of the investment team while they are disparaging of women or fighting each other or arguing with each other or you know, we prefer, we prefer nicer working environments. And, and, and hence, I think women have opted out of finance. And so have I in a bizarre way. So after I've had the experience of coronation, which was doggy dog world, African harvest, you know, I decided that the only way I could forge a path ahead for myself as a woman is to build my own company. And to have a completely different culture, which is a culture of collaboration and a culture where people do not backstab each other, do not, you know, have this kind of concept of of office politics get you anywhere. Um, And so someone asked me the other day, you know, how did I manage to smash through the glass ceilings? And, you know, my answer was, I don't think I smashed through any glass ceilings. I just built my own house. I like that, yes. Magda, let's talk about Women's Month, you know, August being Women's Month here in South Africa. But, you know, hardly a day goes by that we don't hear about another terrible incident of gender-based violence or femicide. It really has become a, a crisis. How do you think that we can try and solve it? Do you think we can? 
you know, it's such a deeply rooted problem, which, you know, has many different dynamics to it. So, so first of all, will we solve it to the level where it disappears? No, we won't. Can we start making inroads in trying to solve it? Yes. I mean, I think if, you know, you had a more prosperous population, if you had better education, if you had more stable family structures, as opposed to, you know, and it, and it is a legacy of apartheid, that kind of dysfunctional family structures where men come and go into women's lives. You know, if, if one started addressing things through education, through, um, you know, the provision of better basic services to communities, then I think that, you know, th that violence element, which very often is driven by be it alcohol, be it poverty, be it stress, not that any of it is excusable. I'm just looking for factors mm. behind it. You know, you, you need to look at the reasons, not at the symptoms. The violence is a symptom. You need to look at the reasons and start addressing those reasons. And, you know, we need to recognize that, so, so on one hand, there is that. On the other hand, be absolutely merciless in punishing the offenders. So what motivates people? Greed and fear. So, so you need to start looking at the fear factor and start getting the message across that the consequences of violence towards women are dire. It's not three months in prison. It's a lifetime sentence for rape, you know, mm -hmm. because fear is a great motivator. Yeah. And Magda, you've inspired many, many women, especially in business with all that you've achieved. And I want to know who is the fearless woman that inspires Magda Vietiska? You know, I think that there are a lot of women that are inspirational. I mean, I can't think of, I guess, Margaret Thatcher was one to, to, I loved the fact that she always had exactly the same handbag that I always imagined her clobbering the man on the head with. <laughs> so, so she certainly in a kind of political sphere was one of the first real feminist icons. Um, you know, I think, you know, in, in and, and again, similarly to South Africa, you need to look for those icons in uh, politics rather than in business because there are so few women in business that one can look up to but there are women in polit politics that you can look at um i mean someone like you know it's it's not an inspiration but an observation someone like hillary clinton who inspired me for different reasons than you think i know she's a deeply polarizing figure but the fact that she made such critical errors in terms of being so bright, so educated, so accomplished. And yet she subjugated all that in order to support Bill Clinton's rise to the top. And so what kind of I find interesting in that story is the mistakes she made which is to follow a man, despite the fact that she's probably three times as accomplished as he is. And so what inspires me is to not follow a man, to, to, to do these things for myself um, and, and learn from the mistakes of others, if that makes sense. 
Mm. Now, we've got some very, very exciting, or you've got some very exciting news. You're going to be in, in charge as the CEO of a brand new season of the reality show, The Apprentice South Africa, next year. Are you looking forward to that? Well, let's see if it happens. Um, I, I think, you know, given this COVID-19 crisis at the moment, yeah. I don't even know what uh, filming would actually look like. You know, the, this whole The Apprentice show relies on people being able to move around, to do projects in different places, collaborate with each other. Um, so, so I suspect that that filming might be deferred given what is happening globally. Mm. And, you know, we, don't, we just don't know what space we will be in. You've got some inside um, information on a vaccine, I believe. Well, only inside information to the extent that uh, we were very fortuitous, because I'm not even going to say that I envisaged, you know, COVID-19 pandemic happening. But last year, I came across this investment uh, in a company called Oxford Sciences Innovation, which is a joint venture between um, a private company, OSI, and University of Oxford to commercialize all spin-outs originating out of Oxford. And there was this one in a lifetime opportunity to acquire some shares in that company from a distressed asset manager. And one of the spin-outs, which we did, and we launched products around it, but uh, one of those spin-out companies, Vasitech, is involved in the development of the Oxford vaccine project, together with, obviously, the, the pharmaceutical company which manufactures and distributes, and that's AstraZeneca. And um, they're currently testing that vaccine in South Africa because, you know, they, they need, um, as well as Brazil, because they need to test it in countries where the infection rate among population is quite high. And so, you know, the, the scientists behind that vaccine are quite confident that, well, 80% confident that the vaccine will work and that they will have tangible results. They are now in phase three trials. So that's where you inject 10,000 people because no one is, you know, dying or developing dire symptoms. That by September, they're fairly confident 80% probability, successful vaccine by September. But then, of course, you move to manufacturing and distribution and the question mark over how soon does South Africa receive that vaccine? Well, I certainly hope soon because I've been in lockdown. I have not left home in five and a half months. <laughs> Magda, we are a music radio station, so I think it's time for some music. You've chosen I Will Survive, sung by Gloria Gaynor. Is there a reason you chose this? I always listen. Whenever I've got, you know, I'm in trouble in life, whenever I've encountered some obstacle that seems insurmountable to me, be it in personal relationship or be it in business, that's the song I listen to. Great. Let's take a listen to Gloria Gaynor with I Will Survive. I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. And that was the choice of my very, very special guest on today's show, the co-founder and CEO of Signia, Magda Vyachitska. Magda, with the benefit of hindsight, what would you tell the young Magda growing up in that two-bedroom flat in Poland if you could go back in time for a moment? You know, it's... I don't know whether I would have told her anything beyond the, you know, the things that I know now, but I knew then. And that is, you know, things such as you've got to recognize that in life as a woman, you have to, to prove yourself, you have to work harder than a man. And uh, you just have to accept that as one of those things that, um, you know, is expected. Of women. So I'll give you a very good example. I know it will horrify a lot of women, but nonetheless, 
when I worked for Coronation. With my first pregnancy, I took one week's maternity leave. With my second pregnancy, I gave birth on a Friday and I was back at work on a Monday. And oh, wow. No one, blinked. <laughs> no one blinked. That was what was expected. So work at it. Um, what I would have said and, um, and what I've done with my sons, not daughters, but definitely more applicable to, to daughters, would be very early on, you know, when they were six or seven years old, I sent them to speech and acting lessons because young people today need to have the self-confidence. To get ahead, you need to be self-confident and you need to get self-confidence to speak, speak in meetings and be able to articulate your thoughts clearly and confidently. And unfortunately, you know, many 20-year-olds get invited to meetings where they could shine, but they don't because they're too concerned about, you know, they don't have the confidence to speak up. So the only way you get that confidence is early on, through your, uni through your high school, through your primary school, join debating, public speaking uh, competitions, anything going in order to develop that confidence to articulate and to speak. So that's, you know, yet another one. Now, final one, that success in life is half-half a function of very hard work and a healthy dose of luck. Mm. So um, lots of people work hard, but you do need luck. Absolutely. And if you had just one piece of advice for the women of South Africa, what would that be? Well, the one piece of advice for the women of South Africa would be in the private sector, because if I look at the public sector, there are a lot of powerful and strong women. So my advice to women in the private sector is take your cue from what you are seeing in the public sector in South Africa and behave like some of the powerful women that you see in politics in South Africa. Watch how they behave and do exactly the same in the workplace. Great advice. Thanks so much for joining me on today's show, Magda. It's been so interesting getting to chat to you, and I really hope we get to sit down together in person soon over a nice cup of tea or some bubbles. A glass of wine, a glass of wine. That would be great. <laughs> That was the co-founder and CEO of Signia, the dynamic, the very beautiful, the powerful and the truly fearless Magda Vietzitska.